Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Science is teaching us that all life is interconnected, that all interconnected and interdependent, all matter has life within it, and it's all connected. And also, spirituality and ancient wisdom has been teaching us this truth of oneness for eons. And so when what you do to another person, you're literally doing to another aspect of yourself. And when mankind awakens to the truth of oneness, there will be peace on earth. Today's show topic is Physicians' Untold Stories with Dr. Scott Kababa. We'd like to welcome Dr. Scott to Awake to Oneness Radio. Welcome, Dr. Scott. Thanks, Caroline. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. It's great to have you with us. So please um, share with our, our listeners your journey um, and how you came about to write this wonderful book, um, Physicians' Un- Untold Stories. Well, Carolyn, I'm a general internist in a little suburb of, of Chicago. I've been doing medicine for about 35 years. It's hard for me to believe that. And I love what I do. But I started to have some interesting experiences that I really couldn't explain. And uh, uh, about the same time, I, I, a few doctors came to me and they had some amazing stories that I really also couldn't explain. Uh, one of them was a, a doctor by the name of Steve Heim. Steve Heim is a uh, orthopedic surgeon, trauma surgeon. He does a lot of spine cases locally. I know him very, very well. We were having breakfast one morning, and he said, you've got to listen to this story. I, I just can't explain it. And I, 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 I'm so moved. He just came back from a vacation and uh, where he had this, uh, this, this occurrence. And he said Mm -hmm. he was skiing with his wife and his wife's sister, and they were skiing on a mountain that they'd not been on before, and he's an expert skier. And they were skiing down the the mountain when a blizzard hit, and they couldn't see anything in front of them. Uh, They could, uh, the temperature dropped, they could hardly navigate where they were going, and they came to a a patch of trees in the middle of this path. They had to go to the right or the left. And so Steve went to the right, and the girls went to the left. And as soon as Steve realized that they were separated, he decided to ski back through the the five feet of powder snow in in this patch of woods and get back to where the girls were. And all of a sudden, uh, he said, everything became quiet. The wind was swirling around him, but it was just very, very quiet, and it was eerie. And he had this overwhelming feeling that he was being called upon to do something that had life and death implications, and he had no idea what what he was doing. And so he just stopped right in the middle of the woods. He took off his skis and stood there for a minute, not knowing what, quite what to do, but he still had this feeling of overwhelming dread, and it was very quiet despite the snow and the, and the wind, and he decided to climb up the, the mountain in the opposite direction of where the girls were waiting. So he had no idea what he was doing. He was climbing and walking and climbing and walking, and he came to a large pine tree, 
and there's a tree well which goes down to the base of the tree uh, and then goes up to the five feet of, of snow. And uh, he looked down into the tree well, and, and he suddenly realized why he was there. Underneath the tree was a body covered with snow. Uh, he decided he's a, he's a trauma surgeon, so he decided to brush off the, the face to see if he could tell if he was breathing or if he was alive. And he looked like he was dead. He couldn't tell if he was breathing. Uh, but Steve, being a trauma surgeon, decided to put his hand on his carotid artery, and sure enough, he had a pulse. So he realized he was alive. He suddenly went into trauma mode. He put his head down. He covered him up. He brushed the snow off, covered him up with his jackets, and started yelling for help. And uh, one of the last skiers down the mountain heard his cry for help and came to his side and said, what can I do? Steve said, go to the nearest phone, call the ski patrol, and get him up here as soon as possible. This person's almost dead. So about 15, 20 minutes later, he saw the ski patrol coming up with a, with a, a, a gurney behind a snowmobile. They loaded this uh, unconscious, hypothermic, shocky skier onto the gurney and took him down to the waiting ambulance at the lodge, and, and they took him off to the hospital. Steve then uh, was shivering with adrenaline and also with cold and came, uh, decided to go back to where the girls were. They were still actually waiting for him, and they then skied down the rest of the mountain and uh, came back to the lodge. The next day, Steve called the hospital to find out what had happened to this individual, and they said, uh, you did a great job splinting his leg. Uh, Steve did that in the field with some underclothes and some uh, a tree branch, and mm -hmm. the fellow was alive. He was speaking and, and lived. And Steve then said to me, you know, after that experience, I realized that there's something else out there. There's, a, there's something up upstairs, he called it, that looks mm -hmm. out for all of us and connects, uh, as you mentioned, Caroline, connects all of us. Uh, together, and that he was just summoned to, to to rescue this this person, and he said, "There's got there's something else up there." He called it uh, the guy, the man upstairs. Right. Uh, and so, I heard that story, and plus some of the other stories that I had experienced myself. Mm -hmm. And I thought, maybe I should maybe I should write this down. And uh, doctors, like many people, well, like many that serve the public, like a barber, for example, I have lots of patients that do all kinds of occupations. I've got publishers of books, I've got plumbers, I've got uh, doctors, and dentists, and you name it. So I called one of my book publishers, and I said, can I have lunch with you some sometime? I'd like to talk about some stories I have to see if, they, if you really think they might be worth uh, writing about. Mm -hmm. So we went to, to lunch, and uh, we were sitting there, and I was really hungry, so I was eating and uh, didn't look up while I was telling my stories. And after about two two of these stories, I looked up and he had tears in his eyes. And that wow. really shook it shook <laughs> me up. And I said uh, I I didn't know what to say actually at at that point. And he said mm -hmm. to me, "You have to publish these stories. You have to write them down." So that was the beginning. And I started writing the stories down. And then I started asking other doctors for their stories. And what I would do would be to hang out in the doctor's lounge. Uh, which is a wonderful place where doctors uh, congregate to get the donuts and the coffee and everything else that, that uh, is in the doctor's lounge. And I would say, do you have any stories about things that you can't explain scientifically? And many doctors did. I probably interviewed about 200 doctors. And many wow. of them had stories that were really pretty interesting stories. And the criteria that I used to include in my book were if the story brought me to tears, not because it was sad, but just because it was emotionally moving, or if, mm -hmm. if it um, gave me goosebumps, I'd include that story in, in the book. And that's pretty much what I did. I thought it would be a six-month project. It turned out to be almost four years of writing and <laughs> revising and lawyers and uh, editors and so forth and publishers. So, uh, But I finally mm -hmm. got it done. I've never written a book before. 
but uh, it's gotten some nice reviews, and I think there's some some things that that uh, have helped people realize that there's something else out there, and the doctors realize that even though they don't talk about it. Right. Wow. It's amazing because, um, in truth, for me, it's a knowing. It's not a belief that there's something else greater than ourselves. And and when I Mm -hmm. say ourselves, because, in essence, it is. We're not separate. See, uh, you know, we're we're raised in society and in church, and just in general, we're raised to think that we're separate from Mm -hmm. God, from the divine, from the universe. When we're not, we're not separate, mm-hmm. and we can never be separate. So we're a part of God, and and so we are, are a part of of all that all these wonderful things that happen. Actually, um, you're in Chicago, but yeah. if you were in Philadelphia in 2011, uh, there would be another story that um, I'm sure my my sons. Um, physician doctor at the time could have shared with you because his exact words to me was it, it he couldn't it was just completely unexplainable what yeah. what we experienced um my son was on life support for, for five weeks and I read about your story uh, that's an amazing story yeah yeah he was on life support for five weeks and um i was told um that he wasn't going to live. And the reason the doctors thought he wasn't going to make it, not because of his heart condition. He did have a very weak heart. But at the time, he, he was admitted that time for pneumonia. And they thought because his heart was so weak that he could not recover from the pneumonia. And they had, you know, asked me, uh, it was December 7th, 2011, if they could take him off life support. And I said, no, 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 no. But um, I, you know, I just said, no, don't take him off. And in the back of my mind, I just said, no, no way. I am not burying my son. I'm just not Mm -hmm. doing it. Um, And so I had gone upstairs um, on a different floor where there was this quiet little waiting room where no one ever was. So when I wanted really some alone time, because I was living in the hospital for five weeks. I, I was living in the ICU uh, unit. Sure and Because and, we I lived two hours away, so it wasn't a, a matter of me being able to go back and forth every day. Um, but I, um, you know, I went upstairs to this quiet waiting room where no one ever was, and I didn't have anything but over-the-counter sleeping pills, a whole bottle. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, I wrote the note, okay, I'm not going to bury my son. My son is going to bury me. And I took the bottle of sleeping pills. And I well, pretty much was asleep for two days. You know, mm-hmm. Someone did mm-hmm. find me. I, I remember being in the ER. I remember being, you know, in the ICU myself. And, um, and I remember his doctor, my son's doctor, saying to me, um, when I was in ICU, that Kyle needed me. I remember that very clearly. But mm-hmm. um, in essence, um, so uh, when I did get better and they put moved me to a regular room, I was under 24-hour um, suicide watch. So sure, I, I'm, sure. And I could only 
visit with Kyle for about an hour. They let me visit with Kyle and where he was. And and one day, I'll never forget, the last day I visited him um, as super, under supervision, I um, whispered in his ear. I got close to him because I'm short, and they had him way high up. He's tall. Mm-hmm. He's like 6'3", and, and the okay. bed they had him, the bed was just elevated. So I had to pretty much stand on a, a step stool to get close to his ear. Uh-huh. Um, and he's still on life support and everything. And so yeah. I get close to his ear, and I whisper in his ear, Kyle, get better so we can both go home. And that night, that was December 14th, so that was exactly a week after they had told me that he wasn't going to to live. That Mm -hmm. night, he pulled himself off. You know, when when a patient is um, incubated and on life support, they have them semi-sedated. So even though he was semi-sedated, he pulled out the vent. And when Mm -hmm. he did that, they thought, oh, my God, they'd have to put it back in. But they, they didn't have to put it back in. They realized he was breathing fine on his own. That's amazing. That's amazing. And and then he, <clears throat> pulled, within the next few hours, he pulled out the feeding tube. He pulled out the ventilator and pulled out the feeding tube. And the doctors said it was like he never even had pneumonia. The, the, the recovery incredible. was that miraculous. So it was like he never was sick from the pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So, and he and I, my son and I, went home uh, December 30th, just before New Year's Eve that wow. year. Wow. So, what a story. Yes. What a story. Yes. Those things happen. Yeah. They happen yes. all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so neat. experiencing That's that made me even more grounded in my knowing that you know, that that there is a God, but there also that everything is divinely interconnected and mm-hmm. is happening in divine order. So I, I made a promise that from that day, when I brought my son home that day, that I would never forget that miracle. And I will always, always, for the rest of my life, be thankful for that miracle. So when he did transition, my son made his transition two and a half years later, um, I still, when he did transition, I just was thanking God. I wasn't, I was at peace. I knew that um, it was his soul who, who decided this was his time, but I knew he wasn't gone because mm-hmm. the people that, you know, um, they're just, they're not gone. So our loved ones that transition from this life are still with us. Matter of fact, they're with us even more because when they're in the physical, and Kyle was 29 years old, and he mm-hmm. had his friends, he had his life. Matter of fact, for 10 years, he didn't live at home. You know, he was living his own life. He called yeah. me on Mother's Day and on my birthday, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so sure. But he wasn't with me all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Now that he is in spirit, I know he's with me all the time. So well, it's, funny it's, things happen that uh, mm-hmm. that you can't explain, and I think people that one of the number number of the stories in my book uh, are about uh, people that have passed that then come mm-hmm. back and participate in our lives. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. there's a, there's a number I can think of. Um, 
There's one one interesting one, uh, one of my favorites. My editor thought it wasn't uh, my best, but I, it was one of my favorites. It's a, a, a dime story. It's about mm-hmm. a um, fellow that was in the emergency room, and um, the emergency room doctor examined him. He had uh, some abdominal symptoms and abdominal pain. And when he was examining him, he found a, a tattoo of a dime on his arm. And he said, that's an interesting tattoo. He couldn't help but ask him you know, uh, what uh, what that means, and he said, "Well, my son uh, collects coins, and mm-hmm. his favorite coin was a dime. And whenever we go to a special function or a special place, like the Cubs game, for example, here in Chicago, he pulls up the chair and there's a dime underneath the, the chair. Or if we go to a, mm-hmm. a nice restaurant or a favorite place, he'll find a dime, and he's collected these dimes." And he said, "My son was killed in an automobile accident on the expressway, and ever since then, I've not." I've, you know, I've, I've missed him badly, but I mm-hmm. started finding dimes too. And I mm-hmm. said, I, I, I know that he looks out for me and, and leaves dimes in places where I'll find them. And so I had this tattoo put on my arm so that he would know that I know that, uh, he is still communicating with me. And the ER doc thought that was an interesting story, but couldn't quite buy the whole thing. And the uh, individual got better in the ER. They gave him some antibiotic and sent him on his way. And then the uh, ER doc went back to uh, dictate the note in the doctor's lounge where the, only the doctors go. And he pulled out the chair on the floor. He saw something bright, looked down, it was a dime. Mm-hmm. So he said, uh, mm-hmm. uh, thank, thanks, a little prayer to himself, thanks for uh, helping me believe. And that mm-hmm. was uh, Robbie's way of, of uh, he thinks, of, of um, mm-hmm. communicating with him that and yes. helping his dad get to the right place. So yes. I think there so are things true. like that that happen all the time, little things that you don't expect or don't realize until you really think about it. Exactly. It's so true. That is so true. I mean, Kyle has communicated with me many times, and and it's like you said, it's paying attention to it, not, saying, not thinking, oh, that's just coincidence, because there are no mm-hmm. such things as coincidence. And when you brush it off thinking, oh, it's just a coincidence, that's that's when spirit is communicating with you. Yes, yeah. that is so true. Share more, please, with of of the stories that are. But I love that one because I I know that um, I have a symbol too that I know when Kyle is communicating with me. It's not dimes. Um, short recently, before he passed, he had bought a car, a GMC car. And you know how they have that big GMC on the front and on the back, mm-hmm. and I and I know when and I see them all the time. And um, whenever I see a GMC car, I know that's Kyle's Kyle way mm-hmm. of communicating, letting me mm-hmm. know, Mom, I'm with you. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the first things that uh, that I I had happened to me was on a vacation in Cape Cod. That got me really interested in, in pursuing some of these spiritual things, and we were we. I love to take my kids on vacation. My parents did that and with us, and they, we loved vacations when I was a kid, and I've been taking my kids on vacation uh, for a long time. And it's funny that when the dad pays, uh, most of the kids can make it. It's a funny thing that happens like that. <laughs> so we're in Cape Cod, which is one of our favorite places, and uh, we have about, uh, I think about 18 at the time. And the boys like to cook, so we were cooking this particular dinner. And when we went out to buy uh, some some uh, all the supplies and everything, we happened to see some pies, and we bought five pies because we thought that would be the amount that we would need. And it was, they were cherry pies at the grocery store. 
and we began to talk about our favorite pies, and we all decided that Grandma Kobaba, my mother, who had died a number of years before that, uh, loved to make uh, rhubarb pie. And we had a big rhubarb plant in the back of the, uh, the yard, and she'd pick all the rhubarb stalks at the end of the season, and then she'd make this incredibly sweet, wonderful rhubarb pie. And when we'd come to visit, we'd all sneak into the kitchen. I'm sure she didn't she knew that we were sneaking into the kitchen. And uh, uh, germ theory aside, we'd take spoons and go right into the the pan and eat the cherry pie, and everyone would get as much as they could eat. And we loved it, and you couldn't eat very much because it was so sweet. And we all thought mm-hmm. that if Grandma was here, she would also, she would make us a rhubarb pie. Okay. So we went back, and we had the dinner. We had swordfish steaks and corn on the cob, and it was really a delicious dinner. And uh, it was one of those evenings. You know, you, there are some times in your life when you can remember that particular day as a, a day that you had to pinch yourself. It was so perfect. And this was one of those days. Everyone was having fun. We just had come from the beach. It was a beautiful sunset. We were sitting down eating wonderful food. Uh, even though the boys cooked it, it was absolutely, it was absolutely delicious. <laughs> and and I, I kept thinking, I, you know, I wonder if my mom uh, could ever, it's too bad she couldn't be here to, to be part of this incredible family, just a fa- wonderful, good-feeling family evening. And um, my wife then served the cherry pie, and I took a bite, and it wasn't cherry. It was rhubarb. I looked back at the box. The Uh box said cherry, but it was rhubarb pie. Uh Now, you can say that the pie may have been mixed up in the factory or lots of things, but I know that uh, at that time my mother was enjoying an evening with us in Cape Cod that uh, was an unforgettable family evening. And that's one of the things that first got me interested in, in pursuing some of these ideas. And then when the doctors started to come with, to me with stories, I thought I've got to write these down. And, and uh, that ultimately became the book, Positions Untold mm-hmm. Stories. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> so so true, because they are with us. When, when we think, you know, when we think that they're not, they, they try to, to, the best way that they can, communicate to let us know no i'm still here i see mm-hmm. exactly what's going on i know exactly what's going on um i one of my recent guests was uh dr um um oh goodness soul phone why why can't let uh gary gary shorts um uh-huh. he is developing uh the soul phone where within i can't say how many years but Soon we'll be able to actually communicate with our loved ones on the other side. And this I know because I've only had one reading. Um, I knew I wanted to have a reading um, mm-hmm. after Kyle passed and uh, transitioned, but I didn't. Yeah, you know, I was. I was waiting. I wasn't searching. I was waiting for the per- perfect uh, medium to meet the perfect medium mm-hmm. to have. And so I had one on my uh, show, and I knew she was the one. And she gave me a reading on Kyle's birthday. And Kyle's voice actually is on that tape from that reading oh my. a few months oh ago on, in November of this past November. Kyle's mm-hmm. voice is literally on the tape. And so it, it's, it's like, wow. He was actually trying to speak through her computer. It was mm-hmm. so amazing. Yes. Strange yes. things happen, don't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I and think it's reassuring so she, to to have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's working with Dr. Gary uh, Schwartz, who is working mm-hmm. on developing the soul phone. 
So there, yes, <laughs> yes. So you'll be able to actually call your your mother and tell her how much you enjoyed the pie that day. <laughs> <laughs> the rhubarb you know? pie. <laughs> yes, that is that is how, how things are are quickly quickly evolving, and we are you know, shifting to that place where we're actually be able to communicate with our loved ones. Yes. That is amazing. So more some more favorites. Share some more favorites from your book. Well you talked about coincidences and uh, one of the main themes one of the there there are a number of themes that occur in a book and you, you don't even quite know what the themes are until you actually get the stories assembled and together because I just collected stories that were were moving to me and and then eventually they seem to the book seems to take a life of its own and one of the main themes is that coincidences happen all the time and they're really not coincidental and pay attention to your coincidences. And, and I've had many people who read the book come back to me and say, oh, yeah, I've, now I realize that some of those things that I've ha- have happened to me were not coincidental. They actually helped me to achieve what I was trying to achieve. And I was, I'm the same way. Until I wrote this book, I had some coincidences that were pretty spectacular that I just had written off. And one of those was one that allowed me to get into medical school. I was... Uh, I was a uh, economics and, and uh, art major in college, of all things. I was initially pre-med and changed in somewhere in the middle of college. And so when I graduated, I was happy I didn't have to go any, to any school anymore. Uh, but after about a year, I decided I better get back to what I really wanted to do, and that is medicine. So I had to take some prerequisites. And I'd been doing this for a couple of years, and this, this I, I decided that I had to get – I was having a family at the time – I would have to get into school to get organic chemistry, which was my one prerequisite that I needed, or or I couldn't get into medical school. And if I didn't get it this year, I'd have to get a regular job, start working, and support my family. So this was the year I had to I had to get into organic chemistry. Otherwise, I I couldn't pursue my medical uh, ideas any further. And so it was. There were two schools at night that offered organic chemistry, since I had a, uh, some job during the day. And one was Aurora University, and I worked in Aurora, which was great. That's one of the western suburbs of Chicago. The other one was at Roosevelt University downtown. So I enrolled in Aurora University. I went to the bookstore. There were tons of books there, and I thought, oh, this is great. That's going to be a big class. And I went to the first night's class, and there were three students in the class. And then I thought, well, maybe we'll have some personal attention. Well, the professor came in and said, I'm sorry, we're going to close the class because there aren't enough students. So I was panicked, thinking I'd never get into medical school. Then I realized I could zip down to, Aurora, to, to Roosevelt downtown and enroll there. So I did that the next day. I made some lame excuse to my boss, went down there and uh, stood in line for the registrar. And when I got to the front of the line, I said, I'd like to enroll in organic chemistry. I understand you offer that night. And she said, well, we do. We have one full class. We offered a second class. We opened up, and that's full. And now we have about 10 students on the waiting list. And I said, well, you don't understand. If I don't go into organic chemistry, I'll be a failure in life. I won't go into medical school and so <laughs> forth. And she said, I'm very sorry, but everyone, every one of those students on the waiting list has the same story. And so I so I, I felt terrible, uh, and uh-huh. I said, you know, it was a desperate time, and I said, who can who makes the ultimate decision about who gets into the class? And she said, that's the professor. So mm-hmm. I said, well, where is the professor uh, located right now? And she said, up on the third floor. So I ran up to the third floor, and there was a waiting room of students probably doing the same thing I was trying to do, but I must uh-huh. have looked really sad to the uh, 
to the secretary there. So she said, if you just have, if you want to just talk with the professor for two minutes, you can wait in the ante room. He's meeting with the other professor teaching the organic chemistry class. So I waited in the little room uh, right outside the door of the, of the class where the two professors were talking. And the doors were paper thin, so I, I didn't intend to hear, but I heard everything that was going on. And the professors were talking about how they had no books. They called to the publisher. They called all the local universities. And they had enough books for the first class. But the second class, when they opened up, they had no books. And they were in a real bind because this class started to, the next day. So mm -hmm. the professors finally uh, uh, completed their discussion, and, and the one left, and the other one signaled for me to come in. He looked very bored, and I said, I, I need to get an organic chemistry because I'm going to be a failure in life if I don't, and so forth. He said, I'm sorry, uh, class is filled. Everyone else that's trying to get in has the same story. He shook my hand and saw, and saw me out. And then I, I realized this was a time for desperate measures because this was my life flashing in front of me here. If I didn't do this, I would not be a doctor. So I said mm -hmm. to him, I understand you're looking for books uh, for organic chemistry. And his eyebrows suddenly went up, and he looked like he was a lot more interested in me all of a sudden. And I said, mm -hmm. if I can get you some books, will you let me in the class? And he looked very interested at that, that point, and I could feel my heart beating because this was this was my life on the line, I think. And he said, he, there was a little, little bit of a pause. He said, can you get me 30? And my heart was beating in my throat. And I said, more. And he looked at me, and there was a long pause, and my heart was beating harder and harder. And finally he said, you're in. I made it. I told him where the books were. I told him uh -huh. uh, everything that he needed to do to get the books. They got the books. Uh -huh. I got into the class. I graduated and was then got into medical school just because of that. Now, when wow. you think about that, what about coincidences, what what's the likelihood uh, of a person being in that very spot, listening to those two professors, talking mm -hmm. about a problem that only I could solve and only they could right. solve my problem at the, at that time? Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is more than coincidental. Right. And for yeah. most of my life, I wrote it off as a coincidence, but I think that was mm -hmm. more than a coincidence. That was that was some divine hand there that wanted to to guide me into what I was doing. Exactly. And it's interesting when I talk with doctors about their careers and about how they got into medical school and those kinds of things, this is not an unusual occurrence, that there are lots of funny coincidences that happen to people, I'm convinced, that have a good uh, intention, that are trying to do something good. Uh, I think there's a divine hand that, that reaches down and, and helps us and guides us in the things that, that uh, we're intending to do. And I think I didn't realize that until I wrote the book, but I think that's what happened in this, this circumstance. Mm -hmm. That is that is so very true. A higher self, I call it my our higher self, because it's just a small piece of us that are here in this embodiment. The larger part of us, our higher self, that is guiding our lives, does mm -hmm. this, what we call coincidence all the time. And a lot of times we we don't we don't see them we don't we don't follow them or even we all know when we get inspiration to follow our passion to do something that really feels exciting but mm -hmm. most of the time what happens we let our mind tell us you can't do it you know yeah. so that is you know that is just following the bread that our higher self is putting there out for all of us in every mm -hmm. moment. And if we yeah. open our eyes and just follow them, 
we'll be fine, but we have to trust in that it, because when, you know, it's it's about trusting and following divine guidance, which is mm-hmm. coming from our higher self. I think so. so. Amazing, amazing. Now, there, we did have, we did, oh, now I was just going to say we did have a caller that had a question, but now he's, he or she is gone, so um, I was going to ask if you were interested in taking questions. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, okay, well, we'll Absolutely. see if uh, the caller calls back. Um, but, no, that is a, a fascinating story on how you, you got into the class, which mm-hmm. got, you know, led you to this, this career. And I love yeah. when you said in the very beginning that you love what you do. So you're I meant do. to, yes. Yeah. You are yeah. totally meant, and that's what I tell. I teach piano lessons, mm-hmm. and I've been teaching piano now for over 25 years. And I tell my students, and I have students from the ages of four to 16, that mm. you do what you love, and you never have to work a day in your life. You know? That's true. That's true. <laughs> yes, follow your heart, follow your passion. Very good. Well, there's a, now, another doctor. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, go ahead. You go. There's another doctor that uh, had a similar kind of a occurrence. Uh, John Showalter is his name. He's a hand surgeon. And Dr. Showalter is a very bright guy, and um, he got into the University of Iowa for uh, residency. And he did a five-year residency at the um, uh, university. Well, he, he initially did, did his medical school at the uh, University of Iowa, wanted to get into the residency there, which is a five-year residency for hand surgery. But uh, evidently, for some reason, they just took a few stu- uh, students, and he didn't get in. So he said that was one of the greatest disappointments in his life, that he didn't get into the school that he loved. But he did get into the University of Indiana. Now, it was interesting that the University of Indiana at the time was one of the two schools in the whole nation that offered a course and offered a program in what's called microsurgery. Microsurgery is where you use a microscope to do very fine uh, surgical techniques, uh, sew together tiny little nerves and blood vessels and things like that that you couldn't see really and couldn't do the procedure if you didn't have a microscope. And so he found that that was fascinating to him at the University of Indiana, and he ultimately went into that as a career. He went into microsurgery, and um, he uh, he found that uh, uh, he was the first one in the Chicagoland area to do a, what's called a hand reimplantation. There was a young fellow that took a skill saw through his forearm at one of the factories, mm-hmm. and uh, ouch. they. Yeah. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. And, uh, just, just the thought that of ouch. it. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. That's a big ouch. And, and it was <laughs> yeah. a big ouch. The ER docs mm-hmm. knew that Dr. Showalter had the skill to reimplant a hand, although no one had, had done it in Illinois before. So they called him up and said, are you interested in taking this, this guy on? And he said, sure, send him over. So he brought him over to the, they brought him over to the hospital by ambulance, put the hand on ice, and he took mm-hmm. 17 hours and he reattached the hand, the first one that was done here in Illinois. Had he not taken that class and and got into the residency program at the University of Indiana, he would never have been able to do that. And he made his whole career out of microsurgery. He loved it. And he Mm -hmm. said, sometimes the greatest disappointments in my life turn out to be the greatest blessings. Uh, Getting into the University of Indiana was the greatest blessing he could have had because he learned a career that he absolutely loved, and he felt that he was guided into that that area, into that career, 
for a reason, and, and indeed he was, and he became a very, very successful surgeon doing microsurgery. So it's interesting that uh, I think that we get divine help from uh, from above when we are, uh, sometimes when we don't even realize it, and sometimes it turns our greatest disappointments into our greatest blessings. Well, the, the thing is, um, I think I, I'm in the middle of writing an article or a blog that is going to become a part of my book um, about what you just said. It's not it. what's true for everyone, and this is hard for a lot of people to understand. All of our challenges, all of our disappointments are our greatest blessing. And every challenge and every disappointment if we look at it a different way, not you know, it it turns out to be our greatest blessing. And I, well, I think you know, we learn from just, those things too. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Absolutely. Mhm. It is so true, and that was a perfect example of how a disappointment can be our greatest blessing. And I am actually writing a, a chapter in my book about that right now. So interesting. That's amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's fun to talk with the docs because, you know, mm-hmm. doctors don't talk to each other like this ever. Right. And they talk about, you know, what was your uh, last gallbladder case and, uh, you know, you're doing, you've got a person with an interesting heart condition and whatever. But, but rarely do doctors talk about spiritual things or the kinds of things that that I was I talked about in in the book, mm-hmm. and it was fun to get doctors to really open up and talk about things that uh, that we don't talk about, and to, and to share right. their inner feelings and and uh, I discovered that most doctors really were quite spiritual, even though many aren't uh, you know regular attenders of church or whatever. They they have a, a great spiritual uh, sense. Dr. Heim, for mm-hmm. example, who did the save the skier. Uh, doesn't uh, it doesn't admit to having an organized religion, but it's very spiritual and very very um, uh, attuned to I think things uh, divine the divine hand in our lives. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. that was kind of interesting to learn. Yeah. Also learned that doctors, what I call are uh, I called it in the book do-gooders. Uh, mm-hmm. Doctors, most doctors are in the business that they're in to help someone in the world, to change a life, to um, to make a difference. And uh, I had one doctor, for example, that we were talking on the floor about uh, uh, adopting. And uh, we had this, we've adopted a couple of kids ourselves, and we had this mm-hmm. little girl in Romania that we found out about that had uh, burned feet because she got too close to a space heater at night when she was wearing plastic shoes and they melted on her feet and caused all kinds of deformity mm-hmm. and burns, and she'd probably never walk again. And I was just uh-huh. telling Dr. Andy Rao, who's a local cardiologist, that uh, it's too bad that no one will ever adopt her and she'll probably never walk again. And about a week mm-hmm. later, I got a call from Andy, and he said, uh, Scott, I talked with my wife about this little girl you, talk, you told me about with that can't walk. We'd like to adopt her. Oh. And I said, Andy, you know, you know nothing about her. Uh, you don't know whether she have other, has other diseases or other conditions or, or don't even know what she looks like. And he said, it doesn't matter. She's a girl in trouble. We have the means to help her. And uh, I think we could get uh, surgeons and others to fix her feet and, and make her a functional mm-hmm. person again. And uh, I thought that yeah. was an incredible kind of a, a statement and uh, offer. And, that, and yeah. what surprised me, though, is that Many doctors are like that. They would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, in talking with doctors, that, that was really reassuring to me that, that uh, this is a, 
this is a group uh, of doctors that uh, are, are amazingly um, spiritual and uh, amazingly um, uh, kind and, and generous. So yes. it's kind of an okay. eye-opener to me. Doctors yes. sometimes get a bad rating and reputation, but uh, that wasn't the case that I found. Yeah, I, I think um, any, any doctor that had went in to medicine is for the reason to just want to be a help to help people to help others is really it, it's um, I think it's a calling mm-hmm. to be a mm-hmm. doctor you know it's like you said it was a calling for you and you love what you do so yeah. it it sometimes though you have I guess doctors that go mm-hmm. into medicine for the wrong reason. Because yeah. um, you know family pressure, you know your family, mm-hmm. but it wasn't their calling. So if it's yeah. not, I think that's the difference. If it's not their calling, it's the same thing I was saying to my my students: um, do what you love, and you never mm-hmm. work a day in your life. So doctors that are doing what they love to do, they're not, you know, they're serving and they're they're doing they're they're doing what they were meant to do, what they yeah. came here to do. Um, but then, if you do it and it's not your calling, it could it could be something that you dread doing, and then that's going to show with yeah. you know your colleagues and your patients. And, you that's know. true. So yeah, because <laughs> like even um, customer service people, you know, we all run into a customer service person that really should be doing a different job. You mm-hmm. know, just not <laughs> meant out that. for. Yeah, they're not meant out for customer service. So. Mm-hmm. Reminds <laughs> so. me of uh, mm-hmm. reminds me of a doctor that I I know fairly well. His name is Harold Adolf, and uh, Harold uh, is, a, is a surgeon, and he does all kinds of different kinds of surgery, not just uh, a particular specialty. He's kind of a uh, all around surgeon, and he decided that he wanted to be a missionary surgeon, so he went mm-hmm. to Ethiopia to uh to work there and he wanted to do that for his whole life and he was one of the few surgeons in Ethiopia that was trained as well as he was and uh, while he was there people would be brought in on stretchers from for miles and miles around by their families it's interesting the families would take turns they'd have a family of 10 or 15 people and they would take turns carrying this poor individual on the stretcher uh, for miles and miles and miles to get to to him through streams and rivers and all kinds of things and uh, he did this. He would operate, and, and some of the cases he had were so life-threatening that he had to operate immediately, otherwise the person would die. So he'd be operating through the night, during the day. Mm-hmm. And after about seven months of this, he got he got burned out. Mm-hmm. And he just said, I can't do this anymore. And he was a very religious individual, and every morning he would pray. And this particular morning, he prayed that uh, he, he, and normally his prayers are very humble, but this mm-hmm. morning he was desperate, and he said, uh, "Heavenly Father, uh, I have tried to do what is what I thought was your work, and I'm now tired, and I just simply can't go on. If you can't provide me with a uh, competent surgeon that can take over, I'll, I have this will be my last day. I'll have to leave the, the mission field and go back home." And so he was in the middle of a, operating that day, and his wife knocks on the door in the surgical suite, and it's unusual because his wife doesn't like the sight of blood. She, she would faint when she saw blood. But this time mm-hmm. she boldly knocked on the door, and she opened the door, and, and uh, Harold said, what can I, you know, what's what's going on? Why, why are you here? And 
standing next to her was this uh, individual who was kind of rumpled and dis disheveled and had uh, hair that wasn't well combed. And he suddenly got the feeling that there was something uh, very um, uh, unusual happening. And he knew he knew what was going on. Harold did, the, the surgeon. He knew mm -hmm. that there was something that uh, an answer to a prayer. And she said, I'd right. like to introduce you to Dr. Moskowitz, who just came from Brooklyn, New York, uh, from a uh, hospital. He's a surgeon. He's come to help you and take over your practice. Wow. And so mm -hmm. Harold wanted to say yeah. something profound, uh, but all he could muster was, uh, it's nice to meet you. Please uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, relax, and when I finish the case, we'll talk. Right. And so he said, how did you happen to come at this very time to this, to this hospital in answer to my prayer? And mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Moskowitz said, well, I, I did the scientific method. I, uh, I had a feeling about a month ago that I needed to, to go on a mission. And I've always wanted to do that, but I made my mind up about, about that time. And I didn't know where to go, so I did the scientific thing. I got a map out. I closed my eyes. I spun the map around three times and put my finger down and landed on Ethiopia. So mm -hmm. I called the airlines, made a, made a reservation to go to Addis Ababa, which is the capital of Ethiopia, and then mm -hmm. when I got there, I didn't know where to go, so I looked in the phone book, and I called Mission Hospitals, and the person that was in charge of your hospital and several other hospitals said, why don't you go try and see what Harold can, can put you to do. And mm -hmm. it was just a, 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 quote, coincidence that he ended up at right. the Harold Adolph's Hospital. He took mm -hmm. over for a month. He did all the surgeries and was a great help for a month. Dr. Adolph uh, took off for a month. I uh, did a, mm -hmm. a was resting at a like a resort in in Africa. Right. Came mm -hmm. back after a month, was fully refreshed, was able to take over. And after that, he, every six months he'd take a a month off, but yeah. uh, that prevented him from being burned out. And he did that for 42 years. Wow. Uh, and uh, yeah. was a very successful missionary and a, a, a surgeon in Africa, yeah. helping thousands and thousands of people, just because he got an answer to a prayer. Uh, mm -hmm. The same day he he uh, he asked. So. Yes, wow, that's amazing. Yes, it's, mm -hmm. it's so true. And like you like you had said about doctors being spiritual. Um, for me, I, I say because I say to people, I'm I'm I don't claim to be any one religion mm -hmm. because I understand the truth of oneness. I understand that we are all one and we're all connected. So there is no division. So if I I if I claim to be something um, that's putting some kind of divider between me and others. Mm -hmm. so, but I mm -hmm. have respect. I have the ultimate respect for all religions because I believe oneness is inclusive of everything. It's inclusive of all religions, of, of whether you're, you don't believe that there is anything but you're born and you die and there's nothing else, you know, atheist, whatever, whatever your belief. It's all inclusive to oneness. Mm -hmm. Oneness is there's no there's nothing outside of the oneness because we're all well, what, a part of the oneness. Mm -hmm. One of the yeah. themes that emerged in my book was that there is uh, there's something else out there, and that's one of the major themes that there is this force, a spirit out there that uh, uh, loves us, that looks out for us, that participates in our lives in strange and wonderful ways. And uh, most of our doctors called it God, but I I, mm -hmm. I left that open. I didn't do any preaching in mm -hmm. the book. I just left that open. Right. And people can believe what they want. But mm -hmm. I'm hopeful mm -hmm. that people will recognize through these stories from scientists 
that mm-hmm. had very unscientific uh, 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 stories and experiences, and experiences that mm-hmm. showed that there is something else uh, to mm-hmm. to our life. And uh, I think all we need to do is look for it and, and believe. And that's why mm-hmm. we have coincidences that we can't quite explain. Um, that's why uh, something directs us on a path for th- for the good and it participates in our lives. And... Mm-hmm. Um, helps direct us to a right goal, like Dr. Showalter with his uh, microsurgery, for example. Yes, yes. Well, what I say on this show all the time, it's about going within. I always say it's not my truth. I, I've, I've found my truth. I've discovered my truth by going within. And, mm-hmm. and once I've discovered that, then I'm living it. So I encourage everybody to find their own truth, whatever that may be. And, and I try to encourage people to quiet their mind and just deep breathe, meditate, pray, however, you know, whatever feels right because we're all unique aspects of the divine and there's all unique ways of discovering that truth that lies within each of us. So Mm -hmm. I, I always say it's not about believing what I say or believing what I believe. You know, it's all about just finding your own truth and living it. So well, I think if people is, search, they will find the truth for them. Mm-hmm. And that was that was mm-hmm. my hope that in reading this book that people would realize there's something else that they need to search for. We're becoming mm-hmm. a very secular society where no you know people are giving up uh, any any kind of faith. And I'm hopeful that uh, uh, having a bunch of uh, 26 uh, doctor stories of uh, things that you can't quite explain uh, scientifically will help people find that truth for them and help find Mm -hmm. the divine in their lives. Yes, and I'm sure when they, like, um, when you contacted me, I told you I had my own story, so I knew knew that the book that you were writing, that you wrote, was full of wonderful stories if I had one, and maybe everyone that reads it, they probably may know of someone that had a, a story like that to share, or they, they've experienced one themselves, because it is truly, you know, we, you know, if we really open ourselves up to seeing beyond the physical, you know, beyond what mm-hmm. our eyes and ears can sense and taste and see, um, and we truly open up, we'll we'll know, we can sense it, we can feel it, even if we can't even if we can't see it with our, our human eyes, mm-hmm. we'll know it it's in our hearts. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when I tell these stories, and frequently I, I, lo- I love to tell these stories, and I've got lots of other stories that I've, I've been able to collect uh, since I wrote the book, but I, mm-hmm. I love to uh, tell these da- uh, stories to my patients, and when I have a patient in the exam room, we'll commonly tell a couple stories, and mm-hmm. I usually get behind <laughs> in my schedule because I do probably too much talking. But uh, it's interesting what happens after I, I tell a story. Invariably, that person either has had a story of his own or their family has had a story. And I'm convinced that virtually everyone has had a strange coincidence or an amazing story that has happened to them or their family. And mm-hmm. I was surprised. One of my first patients that, that came back uh, with a story told me about a, an occurrence with his daughter. He was trying to get her, his daughter into an internship in New York City for about three months, and they couldn't find a, an apartment downtown that was inexpensive enough because they're very, very expensive, uh, mm-hmm. and he couldn't afford it. So he was uh, uh, really afraid that she'd have to give up the internship because they couldn't afford the housing. 
And one mm-hmm. night he had a dream about a friend of his that he hadn't seen for about 20 years. And it was a strange dream, but it was, you know, uh, it was an old friend, but they hadn't been in communication <laughs> for a long, long time. And right. the next day, interestingly, he got a phone call. And the friend wow. who he had dreamed about called him. And he mm-hmm. said, I just, I had a sense I needed to call you and just chat again. It's been a long time. And they reconnected. And, he, and they said, the, my patient said, well, you know, where do you live? And he said, well, I live in downtown in New York. I've been very successful. I started the business. I made lots and lots of money. I was able to retire. And I'm living alone now in this three-bedroom apartment in downtown New York. And he said, do you think you'd have room for my daughter? And he said, I'd love to. I'd love to show her around. And uh, I'll take care of all the food and lodging and everything. She can have a bedroom. And so, sure enough, she was able to do her internship. She lived with this individual, the old friend, had a wonderful Mm -hmm. time in New York because he was able to provide everything for her. And uh, my patient didn't have to come up with anything virtually, and and, uh, they had a wonderful time. And so uh, that was his story. And and generally when people hear these stories, like you mentioned Mm -hmm. with your son or like we were talking about tonight, people will have stories of their own. Or they'll also, yes. they'll also have coincidences that they, again, like my, my organic chemistry book story, um, mm-hmm. they, they had, didn't realize was more than just a coincidence. And so it's fun yes. to have people relate those stories with those coincidences after they hear right. another story. So I think, right. everyone, I think virtually everyone has had a story like that. This is so true. This is so true. Now, did I read somewhere where you're working on your second book? Well, you know, I'm a crazy doctor here, so, you know, one book isn't enough. I, I thought I'd do another one and maybe another one after that. Um, okay. It's uh, the next one. I'd like, I, I'm not sure, I'm collecting stories from docs. So if any docs mm-hmm. are listening, I'd love to have them uh, get to my website, which is uh, physiciansuntoldstories.com, and, and just mm-hmm. let me know that they have a story and I'll be glad to call them or whatever. Uh, right. But I, uh, either it's going to be a doctor, another doctor story book, or a uh, nurse with nurses. So nurses oh. have some amazing stories, and they are in yes. the in the in the trenches with the, with patients, especially the ICU nurses that are dealing with life yes. and death situations all the time. And they have some amazingly wonderful stories about patients. And uh, wow. so I'd like to yes. uh, connect and and uh, do a story, a book on on uh, either nurses' untold stories or another book on physicians untold stories. Mm, so. Very, very good, very good. And like you said, there's so many of them out there. You can probably have volume one, two, three, four. <laughs> you can have a lot of different volumes because yeah. these stories, it's important to share these stories so people yeah. understand and see that there is so much more than we we think. You know, there's Absolutely. so much more that's out there. We have to mm-hmm. really open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what's truly what's truly out there. So this has been such a wonderful, wonderful hour. Can you please share with our listeners um, how they can find your book and how they can sure. find out more about you and how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, the book's available primarily through Amazon, so they can log on to Amazon.com. It's available as a Kindle and also as a soft cover. Our website is physiciansuntoldstories.com, and they can learn about 
about me. There's some videos on there about some of the stories and uh, a number of blog posts and uh, lots of information about what we're doing. And we're hoping to start a movement, uh, a movement mm-hmm. that uh, uh, lets people know that there's something else out there. There's a, a, that doctors are spiritual individuals and uh, that uh, they they can open up a dialogue. There's uh, be be a little more open with your doctor and doctors with patients about spiritual things because I think healing takes place uh, not only with medicine but also with uh, some spiritual uh, help. And uh, prayers mm-hmm. are important. Watch for coincidences in your life. And that love is the force that uh, yes. seems to be the eternal force that is the strongest force in the universe. And I think that came across in the book also with the doctor stories. That is so, so true, so, so true. So can, we have time for one more good, juicy story. So pick another story, one of your favorites from the book to share with our listeners. Okay. One of my favorites is Graham O'Hanlon. Graham O'Hanlon was a little old lady that uh, was a midwife until she had to retire. And um, she stepped into the room. Uh, now, Dr. He- this is about Dr. Heitzler's wife. Uh, Dr. Heitzler is a doctor that's, that actually delivered two of our kids. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Heitzler's wife was delivering their fifth child when little old Graham O'Hanlon stepped into the room and let, literally saved Joan's life. And the story goes that Graham O'Hanlon was a midwife in Chicago for a long time, retired and lived with Joan Heitzler uh, and her mother. This was when Joan was a little girl. And uh, she she developed a great love, speaking of love, a great love for, for Joan. Joan and Grandma O'Hanlon had an unbelievable love for each other. And Joan used to say, if I could make it to Grandma O'Hanlon's lap one last time, uh, that I knew I would, uh, well, I mean, one one time I'd know I'd be safe because her mother would get mm-hmm. mad at her or something, and she'd run to Grandma Hanlon's lap. And right. when Joan was delivering the, delivering the baby, uh, the baby was delivered, and then she had a lot of pain afterwards, and they were doing some procedures afterwards to make sure the placenta was all removed, and she asked for some pain medication. Well, in those days, uh, they used Trilene, which is a mask that they put over the woman's face, administered the gas, which is Trilene, and they put the woman into a deep sleep. Well, no one realized that uh, when uh, Joan was, just before she went into labor, she'd eaten a very large meal. And uh, um, when they were about ready to put the mask over Joan's face, uh, Grandma Hanlon stepped into the room, stood at the foot of the bed, and shook her head. I don't want to, don't don't, uh, take this trialing. And so Joan pushed it away. And uh, about one minute later, Joan vomited the entire meal that she'd eaten. Had she had the mask oh. on, she would have aspirated that and may have died or developed a serious oh. aspiration pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So Joan mm-hmm. says that she made it to Grandma Hanlon's lap uh, one last time, uh, transcending time and eternity because of their love, since Grandma mm-hmm. Hanlon had died 22 years before. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So, That's a wonderful yeah. story. I, I love how you, you mentioned that what you're starting with your books are is a movement because that is so true. I I believe that we are living in very unique times where yes, humanity humanity even as with with all that's going on, you know, in the world, I believe humanity is slowly but surely awakening up to the truth that we you you speak of in your book that these are not coincidences that there mm-hmm. is much more out there there's much more to to who we are and what we're connected to 
And um, I love the word that you use is a movement because I started my show two years ago, a little over two years ago, and mm-hmm. the mission was to is to inspire the world to awaken to the truth of oneness because I do believe once mankind awakens, imagine if everybody woke up tomorrow morning knowing that you're connected to everyone else, all seven billion of us are connected like cells, like little mm-hmm. cells in the body that you're all connected. And, and if everyone woke up with that knowing, there would be, it would put an end to war, it would sure put would. an end to crime, it would mm-hmm. put an end to poverty instantly. Yes. All those things would be gone instantly. So I do believe that's where mankind is moving towards. And so just recently, I just uh, published a new website. Um, I'm a part of an alliance. <laughs> it's called Universal Oneness Alliance. We just published the website last Friday, and wow. it's Awake to Oneness Radio. It's Universal Unity, and it's uh, Awakening Our Truth. These are three nonprofit organizations that have come together to form a oneness alliance. And so now we're we're also starting a movement. <laughs> it's a, That's a great, oneness Caroline. movement. Yes, yes. Good for yes. you. Yes, and we'll we'll be hosting, if anyone's interested, if anyone's in Victoria, but actually it doesn't matter where you're located, we're hosting our first live event September 3rd in Victoria, B.C., Canada. And that live event will also be live streamed. So if anybody's interested, they can find out more by going to onenessalliance.org is the website, brand new website. Good for you. Yes. Good luck yes, with I'm that. very excited. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm very excited and um I do believe that we are as a human family moving towards love because it all comes down to that one word. It's all about love. It's the most powerful so force in the universe, I think. Mhm. Yes. Yep. Very true, very true. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Scott. I enjoyed this so much tremendously. I love having these conversations. That's why that's why I started the show, just to have conversations like this to share with the world. And thank you so much. And, and I'm going to be looking. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to be looking for your next book. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you know when it comes out. It won't take four years, okay. I don't think, this time. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I'm still I just started my first, so let's see, maybe <laughs> maybe four <laughs> years before my first one hits the bookshelves, but uh I started it on mother on Mother's Day. I was inspired to start a book and That's I started great. my first book. Yes. Good well, for you. thank you so much, so much. Enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. I can't believe it. I just realized just yesterday that this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. I'm like, it can't be already. It seems I know, like the year just too. started. Yeah, yep, it seems like it I just agree. started. And it's already Memorial Day. <laughs> so enjoy your weekend. I appreciate I so much you being our guest. And uh, we'll keep in touch via email. Great. Thanks, Caroline. Okay. Caroline. Thank you. Have a great okay. weekend. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.